Okay, this is Austin Enneagram, and this is Elizabeth. And Lee. And we are continuing with our book study of Claudio Naranja's Enneatype Structures. And we are on chapter six, type six, the title of the chapter on page, what page? 97 is called mm -hmm. the persecuted persecutor the persecuted persecutor um i have i've gotten in the habit of when we read when i read one of his chapters i will when i find um just good descriptors that i want to add to like our know your number yes teaching i write those at the top and so here here's my little list that I have above the persecuted persecutor. Oh, good. The fearful anticipator, mm. which I really like. Problem solver, problem seeker. Ooh, that's like so that. good. That's good. Yeah. And then self-invalidator. Yeah, I was really phrase. I was really struck by that self-invalidation. Yeah, so, yes. Those are the the, I like all of those better than the persecuted persecutor for some reason. I mean, I know that they're persecuted. They persecute themselves, mm -hmm. but I didn't yeah. know that they, I, 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 I don't know if I would have called them the persecutor. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know. Sixes yeah. will have It'll to be... weigh into, to, uh, they'll have to speak to us about this persecuting. I think maybe in the sense of, um, Oh, all the all the questioning, all the questioning, and then moving. Sometimes when they move against their uh, yeah. fear, yeah, they move against what they think is out to get them. Yeah, I think that could feel persecuting, yes. <laughs> like a persecutor. So, um, all right. So, if we use fear to designate the ruling passion of type six, we need to point out, as in the case of anger in uh, type. Uh, one, right, and other emotions, that this important state need not be directly manifested in behavior. It may be alternatively manifest in the overcompensation of a conscious attitude of heroic striving, which I thought mm -hmm. was interesting. The counterphobic denial of fear is no different in essence from the covering up of anger through excessive gentleness and control. There we go. The covering up of selfishness through excessive yielding. I think what the type two. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting way to put a type two. Covering up selfishness yeah. through excessive yielding. Um, and other yeah. forms of compensation manifested throughout the uh, type. So uh, I guess he's basically think... just saying that there some, it's very obvious that they're fearful and some are really covering it up. And I know that we say this again and again and again. But I think any way that you kind of put words to the um, reality that people's behaviors don't necessarily always clue you into their number. So yes. that there is there is not just a list of behaviors, which is kind of what's happening, kind of what he's saying there, that just because I don't just because I don't look fearful doesn't mean I'm not a six just because I right. behave in a way that is counterphobic to that right, doesn't mean right. I'm not, not that. So again, it just reminds us that this is the inner work and motivation and what's kind of driving you and how it, how it comes out can look very different for each number. Yes. Yeah. Um, on page 98, um, his definition of anxiety at the top of the page of, mm -hmm fear without the perception of external or internal danger. I thought that was yeah. a good definition. Um, and I will just, I mean, we might as well just say it here. So he uses the word cowardice and fear. Like he usually groups those two together for, I, I don't know why, but that word was really triggering for me. I didn't mm -hmm. like it. Um, I felt protective of sixes. I guess there's just, maybe it has a lot of baggage it reminded me of how I felt when he used the words, when he uses the word histrionic and some of his language, when he described type threes, really just kind of going after and describing women and kind of that kind of feminine uh, beauty. And 
there's there's just something that really bothered me. And so if you were to pick up my copy, you would see that every time he's written cowardice, I just crossed it out. And, right. Because um, usually he, it's a, it's the fear and cowardice that he puts together. He does put um, them together. And I prefer the word fear because I think what, yeah. what we've just, what we feel having talked to all our six people is that yeah. they're afraid and then they go and do life anyway. And that that actually requires more bravery than courageous. all the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I even looked up the definition of cowardice just because I'm like, do I have it wrong? <laughs> Do you have it right there? It's just lack of courage, lack of courage or firmness of purpose. And to me, that may be like if you get into the weeds where he gets with psychological diagnoses and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, maybe. But even then, I don't think that's helpful. Um, I I just don't think it's, I I I don't know. And I think, you know, like um, I've been listening to that podcast Salome Institute where they go through um, Carl Jung's red book. And actually I was taught about that podcast by our six friend, Kathy Sever. And so I've been enjoying that podcast. And one of the things that they say in reading Jung's red book is that they, they feel that 80% of it, they're just bringing it uh, to bear. They're bringing it to light. They're analyzing it. They're using it for today's purpose and 20% of it they feel they need to discard um, is kind of outdated or not applicable. And so I kind of think we could probably say the same for that that word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, And so I think it's helpful actually for, for us to say, you know, for you to say that Um, someone picked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And and I do think when you, when we do talk to sixes, so if you go back and listen to some of our episodes with sixes or you, Noah six, I, I just cowardice would just never be the word I would think of. I agree. Them. It's um, I agree. It's very the antithesis uh, of that. Yeah, it's very dismissive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like the bottom paragraph on mm-hmm. page ninety eight. He says, as I will elaborate upon in the psychodynamic al- analysis, which is the trait structure of fear. He says, I think that the cognitive counterpart of fear may be found in an attitude of self-invalidation, self-opposition, and self-blaming, which all of those, all three of those, I think we've heard sixes tell us about. Mm -hmm. Self-invalidation, self-opposition, and self-blaming. A becoming an enemy to one's self that seems to imply that it is better to oppose oneself, siding with some anticipated opposition that's out there somewhere, than to actually meet what's true. So then to actually meet the outer inner me. So they get so, um, which made me think about how we talk about sixes as someone who they can't trust their own experience of reality. They can't. Mm -hmm. And that's really where they're, they're stubbing their toe over and over again is that they don't trust what is, what is real, which all of us in some ways do that of course but right I think that's a really interesting way to talk about it that they end up opposing themselves by some unknown out there anticipated problem that is not yet um yeah versus versus what is true right and that they're actually whether maybe subconsciously choosing that but it feels Mm -hmm in some strange way, easier to oppose themselves than to oppose the outer reality, Um, which is, yeah, which puts them in that circle of doubt. Um, Yeah. But it is a great way to talk about it. I liked that to become an enemy of oneself. Mm -hmm. Um, So trait structure in 99, uh, he discusses anxiety as a fear of change, fear of making mistakes, fear of the unknown, fear of letting go, fear of hostility and trickery, mm-hmm. <laughs> fear of not being able to cope, fear of not surviving, fear of aloneness in a threatening world, fear of betrayal, and fear of loving. Um Oh, I good... love that list, actually. Yeah, it is good. I think. It's kind of beautiful mm-hmm. in a way. 
I think mm-hmm. we all have that. Oh, but, gosh, yeah. But, I, I mean, I know that they, it's kind of like when Suzanne talks about ones being, you know, that they have the inner critic all the time and it's relentless. And I think it's a fear for sixes. It's that all the time relentlessness that yeah. that all the rest of us have. We know it, but we don't right. swim in it the way they do. Right. Um, it's kind of wedged in them. Like when we think about, you know, if you go through our unfolding of sixes and our understanding and that that fear can really make itself known in relationships mm-hmm. um, that that idea of hostility and trickery or fear yes. of being alone yeah um, fear of betrayal that that's not just safety that it is right this, um, and I know we use the word anxiety a lot in our culture um but I always try to think of the times that I have really felt anxious and could not logically make that leap for myself. Like I could not, even if I knew it wasn't true, even if I knew that wasn't my experience, but mm-hmm. because of whatever was happening in my life, um, that I could not move out of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like I always think of sixes and I don't know if this is how they feel, but I, I try to think of when I felt that kind of paralyzing anxiety that I didn't feel like I could escape, not, um, and not trusting that I had before, even right. though I don't know how I got out of it, but we do. Right. right For those right. of us who, if it's not constantly wedged in our experience, but that's, I just have a lot of, um, a lot of empathy and care for them in those, those spaces, um, what that must feel like the churn in their belly. Um, yeah. And, and then if you think about constant. like, uh, health wise, um, mm-hmm. the kind of fight or flight, uh, what it's doing to our nervous system, right. um, to be in that state all the time is, um, not you know that that what that does to our to our bodies um yeah. it's not i've been reading uh uh joe dispenza books which mm-hmm. louise sent to me and so i know he might be i don't know some people may like him and some people probably really don't like him but i was kind of thinking that they would be good for a six to read because uh he's basically his entire what he's all about is changing that dynamic in yourself like realizing that story mm-hmm. realizing that yeah realizing that dynamic of always having that that fight or flight within you and what that's doing to your health and how you kind of along with meditation um kind of imagining uh, a future you that's good and whole and safe and that mm-hmm. it's kind of incumbent upon all of us to imagine future selves that are that are that are good and whole and safe um because that's the only way you're going to get there um in his opinion and i think it i mean whether it's true or not i like it um i think it's helpful and it, and, it, and then it i i realize how hard it is actually to do for me as a force it must be incredibly hard for a six cuz so when i'm swimming in the soup when someone's just said something to me that makes me very angry and i feel all those feelings and then i'm thinking about what he's told me about imagining a better story than what my feelings are in this moment and mm-hmm. i just kind of can't embody it i'm like trying to do it and i can't really do it yeah. but anyway i think those I don't know. It's kind of those grooves that we've made, right? That it, um, whether you talk about it in a neurological way, mm -hmm. that spiritual way, but your body, even if it's not the best for you, even if, even if we know that the way, the way that I'm seeking peace is not the best and is not actually really all that peaceful. Right. I have convinced myself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that that's that is the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's just, I think, another way of talking about being aware. You, you have to notice it because um, yeah. even if it doesn't feel good, it's what we know. You know, it's, yeah. it's that we've decided this is the way that we're going to we're going to go about achieving wholeness. Um, right. Even though it doesn't doesn't get us there yeah 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 
He calls it being addicted to your past self, (laughs) which I think is interesting. Um, Yes. Okay. Anyway, back to Naranjo. Um, Okay. Let's see. So we did that list of fears, which I think is good. Um, And then he goes on to say like expression of fear and behavior. So how this can look on the outside insecurity, hesitation, indecision, and tentativeness, Mm -hmm. which is a consequence of the fear of making mistakes, being paralyzed by doubt, immobilized, out of touch with impulse, avoidance of decisions, and the inclination to compromise, being over careful and cautious, prone to compulsive double checking, never being sure, lacking self-confidence, over-rehearsing, and having difficulty with unstructured situation. That is to say, those in which there is no set guideline for behavior. Um, (laughs) And I feel like we've heard our sixes talk about all of that in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I think both of these lists, the what's happening on the inside and how it's expressed, um, Really good. Those are good lists. Yes. Yeah, they really yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and then he goes on on page 101 to kind of talk more about fear as a fear of one one's own impulses, a fear mm-hmm. to act spontaneously. This fear to be to, um, is typically complicated by a fear of the outer world and a fear of the future consequences of one's present actions. So uh, when I read that, I wrote to the outside, it reminds me of how I feel a lot mm-hmm. and how, how Suzanne at least often talked about nines being internally and externally boundaried. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels very similar to me that, that the fear that if for me, it's, if I be, if I'm myself fully, or if I know myself fully, then I'm going to cause disconnection. I'm not going to be at peace. You know, I'm going to mm-hmm. cause conflict, whatever I've decided. Um, and so, and then just reading those two lists on the previous page of all the things that are happening in them and all the ways they're holding the outside um, at, at bay, um, it reminds me a lot of that work of how much work it takes to boundary yourself on the inside and boundary up everything on the outside um, from, a, from a different space, but it is, it can be paralyzing. Um, yeah. And they, and that's feels- a good feels similar it's so similar Mm -hmm. like what you're talking about and what a six is experiencing Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um the uh let's see i underline dreads giving free reign to aggressive or sexual impulses um that's interesting i don't know (laughs) i can't (laughs) speak to that um not being able to rely on one's power distrusting one's abilities Mm. and the capacity to cope with situations with the consequent insecurity and the need to rely on others. Um, He goes on to say castrated, which is a strong word. We might, we might say that that's like cowardice that we don't like it. Castrated. It's intense. Very intense. Yeah. Psychologic sense. He says, yeah, Yeah. it's very odd. Yeah, I get I mean, I get kind of where he's going that they're cutting themselves off from their kind of their power. Like if you think of virility or, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of. But yeah, I just not into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no underlines of that for me. I yeah, just oh, really? That. OK. Um, yeah. So and then hyper alertness um, or hyper intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, a yeah. suspicious and overcautious disposition um, in the service of interpreting. I thought that was good. Um, interpreting mm-hmm. reality. So I think they're, I think sixes are very busy interpreting re- reality. I mean, and yeah. I guess like what you were saying earlier is maybe they're, they're interpreting a reality that's not true. Mm-hmm. Because well, I they, think we all are. We all are. We all are. Yeah. Yeah, God. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I liked his comparison. I love when he does this. Unlike the confident over alertness of the Enneatype three, and we're all on this, you mm. know, three, sixes, and nine are all on this train triangle. 
mm-hmm. which orients itself to having everything under control and make you know kind of that maneuvering that threes do. The hypervigilance of a six is on the lookout for hidden meanings, clues, and the unusual. That's and so it's like the threes have the confidence to interpret actually what's happening and move through it and trust that they're going to do the right thing. And the threes are on the lookout for what they don't get, like what's hidden. Yeah. like Or the sixes. Yeah. So the yeah. threes kind of really kind of trust and they, live they in over, their They over trust. Yeah. They kind of over trust. Yeah. And then yeah. the sixes are like, what's underneath all of that? And probably have a, if they would set down mm. some of that could mm. really, because they're so used to yeah. interpreting or I'm looking a- and are vigilant about it, similar to a three. Yeah. Um, they both have a little bit of a superpower there, just gone awry. Agreed. You know? Like if they could trust that, if they could trust yeah. their, their own tool, their tools they've honed to keep themselves safe, have actually made them quite uh, intuitive. They've got some good tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, an exaggerated need to rely on rational choices. Mm. We're in the head triad. Cool. Yeah. Um, I liked on the top of page 102, um, he not only needs guidance, but also typically distrusting guidance as well as needing it solves this conflict through appeal to the guidance of logical systems or reason itself, Mm. the most logical of any types. So devoted to reason. I, I just like distrusting guidance as well as needing it. And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of, in my experience with sixes, I think that's where I see the anger or the aggressiveness in a six. Um, it's almost like they resent that, that they need the guidance, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, cause they don't trust or that it, the rest but of they need it. Yeah. Logic. Yeah. yeah but I see, I see that kind of that space where they know they, they need it. They need it. They need it. They kind of have to ask, they have to seek it and yet they distrust yeah. it. And there's a space there where, that I think makes them can make them very frustrated. Yeah. I I, mean, I liked for, yep, go ahead. No, you go. You go. I was going to say, I liked where he went on to kind of describe so unlike the seven who uses intellect as a strategy, tra- strategies, mm. type six is likely to worship intellect through fanatical <laughs> allegiance to reason and reason alone, as in scientism, in mm. their need for answers in order to solve problems. Type sixes are more than any other a questioner and so a potential philosopher, which is pretty cool. That's like the I think they're kind of natural observation skills and reason and that they're constantly putting stuff together, what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But not only do they use that intellect for problem solving, they resort to problem seeking as a way of feeling safe. So they're the problem solver. They've got that great intellect, but they're also looking for problems all the time. And so that hypervigilance, of par- it creates that paranoid kind of loop that they get stuck in you know yeah. being the solver and the seeker the solver yeah. and the seeker of all the all the problems um which hmm. is uh hard it keeps you busy keeps you busy but i and i liked i liked referring because when you think about the sixes we know um they're they're like kathy severs a bit of a philosopher she's a total and, philosopher you know, I, absolutely I I like that word for sixes. You know, that's not a word that we use so awesome often. But I, when I think about why I like philosophy and the Mm. trying to find words for things that bother me or things I don't understand or asking those questions and being drawn down those rabbit holes, that's really what sixes are doing Mm -hmm. so often. um, And you know how Suzanne always says, like, when sixes ask you how you are, they actually are going to, they actually really want to listen. And I think that's Mm -hmm. another quality that helps with that philosophical bent because they are paying attention. They actually are listening to how you Mm -hmm. are and why you are and all the, all that. 
And so they have, they have that on board, I think. Yeah. Which is cool. And I think what they just have to realize or um, probably a lot of their work are those lists Mm. that we read at the beginning in connection to their, you know, their kind of philosophical mind and their curiosity and questioning is that when it's tinged with all the anxiety, then what can happen is when they're asking you how you are and what's going on, they're reading you for how are you going to betray me or, you know, what's whatever their fear is in relationship Mm -hmm. to you, it can get tinged with that um, flavor, that piece of their fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, while there's hope in seeing oneself with problems, the hope of being able to solve them, there's also a trap in problem making that manifests, for instance, as an inability to be go beyond the role of patient in the therapeutic process. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's why I was like, there, it keeps you busy. Cause I think there's this, I think in every number we realize the more we're self-aware that the thing we're compulsive about is the thing we're most afraid to stop because then we're, we don't know who we are under it or like what, what will be there for us, for ourselves if we, if we just put it down. And so I think it's not enough to solve problems. You've got to seek them too, because that's, that's that self they are self-invalidating. And so maybe that little process is a way of trying to find self, some validation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember the words that Scott used in our, when we did the introduction to type six, but Scott said something about how he likes feeling worried. Like mm. worry is comfort to him. Yeah. It reminds me of that. It's that circle. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. If how I'm else to be worrying is Right, right. Right. But there's something soothing, which sounds so strange, except when Mm -hmm. you put in the context of this, right, that the worry is the way of being. Yeah. Um, And I do think that the six is stuck in. Head triads, worry, 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 worry. Five, sixes, and sevens love to worry, worry, worry. Mm -hmm. Sevens would tell you they don't ever worry, but they do. Right. Um, They do. They do. Um, an excessive orientation to the abstract and theoretical, but seeking refuge in intellectual activity is also a consequence of fearful holding back indirectness, vagueness, and beating around the bush. Um, so then he goes on to talk about three types of sixes. And I thought this was very interesting and fresh for me. Yeah. I um, like it. Type type one, I'm going to put under his his thing of ingratiating friendliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then type two, ri- rigid. And type three, mm-hmm. pugnacious. <laughs> I love that word, <laughs> pugnacious. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the first one, ingratiating friendliness. Um, uh-huh. And we did talk about this with Kathy when she was in the dining room that time. Like yeah, a, I feel like also Susanna, Susanna talked to us about this mm-hmm. to some degree. So um, I wrote out to the side sexual sex, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so, too. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, warmth uh, as uh, a weakness. Let's see. What is he saying? That's we may understand the warmth of a most uh, of most type six individuals as a weakness, a way of ingratiation. He, he sees a compulsive, it as a, a compulsive search for protection. Mm. And Seeking so, and giving warmth. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the ingratiating part. It's it's almost like seeking sa- seeking the safety that they're looking for through that overt compulsive search for protection in relationship. Right. Um, and I do mm-hmm. think there's some of that three, six, nine triangle. I do think all three of y'all do use warmth as a tool to kind of hide. Yeah. I mean, you, you oh, hide sure. behind it, maybe I do. And three and threes yeah. lubricate, uh, with it and not, and, yeah. and sixes are using it to, to, to protect themselves. To protect themselves. And it's, so it's interesting yeah. to think of warmth as a tool 
Yeah. Mine is really can be a shield. It's right. a real shield, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, that's interesting. Just keeps things at bay mm-hmm. a little bit. And so then mm-hmm. there's another list at type on top of 103, which is kind of positive, I think. Yeah, um, I like it. Together with the descriptor affection, um, I list in this cluster seeking and giving warmth, being a good host and being hospitable and generous. Um, pathological piety may also be listed here along with exaggerated, mm-hmm. exaggerated faithfulness um, to individuals and to causes. Also considerateness, gentleness, obsequiousness, one of my favorite words. I know I was going to say, it made me laugh when I read that. Um, and, the need for, word. Uh, and the need for support and validation. Um, uh, he goes on to say that these types, and I think Susanna and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. is that um, like a four, they're pr- more prone than other sixes to sadness, forlornness, and a sense of abandonment, like a type four. Um, So that's that first type, which he calls ingratiating friendliness, which we're going to maybe say is a sexual six, right? I mean, it feels to me like how, I don't know, but it feels Mm to me like the characteristics and experience that Susanna has experienced shared with us of her experience of being a six is so relational and really kind of merging is how I would talk about it Mm. with her, her folks around her, you know, whether it be romantic relationships, friendships, how she has described it. And Susan, I hope I'm doing you justice, but that there is that kind of merging with them and, but also fear that she's going to be abandoned. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she kind of moves against her fear by in, that ingratiating kind of friendliness is how he talks about it. But right. It, it feels if, if we, how she has described it, that does feel like it to me. Mm-hmm. And then the next type structure is rigidity. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the, a different type of six, which, uh, which is maybe more the caricature that we know of generalized mm-hmm. du- dutifulness, uh, obedience to law, devotion to fulfilling responsibility as defined by external authority, a tendency to follow rules and to value documents and institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rigidity and organization, the fear of authority and the fear of making mistakes causes them to need clear cut guidelines as to what's right and wrong. So they are highly intolerant of ambiguity. These guidelines are never those of popular opinion (laughs) in the other directed, any type three, but the rules of the present and past authorities, such as a set of implicit inner rules um, with traits traits like controlled, correct, well-informed, hardworking, punctual, precise, and responsible. And so this is when oftentimes when sixes and ones have a hard time, it's Mm. so so obvious Ah. to me as to why right here right right. and typing Mm -hmm. I mean that just sounds like we read about a one and so that's yes and so that's probably the social six yeah yeah and I wrote phobic I think you know we so often Mm -hmm. try to break sixes into this phobic or counterphobic expression of their fear and this to me feels more of a phobic how just historically, at least how we've learned mm-hmm, an expression mm-hmm. of six that, yeah, but that, that does seem more social to me, I think is how we've, when we've talked about in the past, yeah. controlled, correct, precise. I and mean, even I, those saying those words. And I'm just staccato. wondering, I'm wondering out loud, like if you could take the three types that he lies out here, um, the, the, the ingratiating, the rigid and the pugnacious and within those three types of sixes could each of them waffle back and forth between being uh uh phobic and counterphobic oh sure yeah. i think that's just like all of us you mm-hmm. know like we are you're not just sexual for you, right right of you, course hopefully because sometimes of your work i feel like i am <laughs> yeah so, Which I just... sometimes i feel like you are too <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna Which... say right now that's not all it's, you can 
we can do more. We can be more layered. We can have a different layer cake. Yes, please. Yes, please. But I think that's why a lot of teachers will say you're not one or the other. You know, you're not phobic or counterphobic. That I think it is the structure of your behavior and how you choose to deal with your fear as a six in that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I would guess that the outside kind of obedience rule follower is fine but man what if that doesn't turn out to be the right right way to follow or at some point you don't trust it or you do enough research and you philosophize enough and you um, decide come up with a different answer then you might mm-hmm. feel counterphobic or push against you know with your pugnacity mm-hmm. um, so, so do you yeah. want to read about the pugnacious one do you have Sure. I just said, um, as an alternative to both the soft, obedient, and ingratiating style of coping with anxiety and the rigid, principled, rule-bound style, we find a cluster of traits that may be understood as a pugnacious intimidation. I mean, Uh those are great words together. A pugnacious intimidation through which the individual competes with parental authority Um, remember we're reading from a psychologist and Mm -hmm. later in life uses the position of authority to both feel safe and to obtain what they want. Belonging in this category, aside from the denouncing of authority and this competitive wish to stand as an authority are traits like argumentativeness, criticality, skepticism, and cynicism. They also think that they know the right way. They pressure others to conform bombastic, bluffing, strong, courageous, grandiose. Um, So I think oftentimes we say that a counterphobic six can feel like an eight. And you read those, that list of traits, the energy in those words sure does feel like the energy of an eight, right? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily bluffing and grandiose, but although I would say in the eight, sometimes there is, whether they recognize it or not, or not a sense of bluffing, you know, like, cause they're mm. not in touch with their own vulnerability. Um, that's not something we think of very often, but it's kind of moving against their own vulnerability and the pretending um, it's not there. Pressuring others to conform, I think is an interesting one. And I've felt that a lot from six is it, I mean, as a four, because I think it's like, they just want to feel safe. And they mm-hmm. feel safe in you're conforming and they feel safe in numbers, you know, and just not being the only one that, that cares about that. Um, right. There, there's a real social think knowing to what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing, like as, as you as a sexual four, if someone doesn't know you, right. Mm-hmm. That you, if you pop up in the moment or, splooge or you know whatever however you want to say it that that doesn't feel safe there's not a way there's not a way to make their way through whether it's safe or not for them you know it doesn't it It just maybe it's not uh predictable predictable yeah 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 which is part of what's lovely about that's that's authentic like not being predictable (laughs) is authentic to you (laughs) Um. oh my gosh but then what I'm confused by I guess Lee is that he goes on to say to call these three types of sixes the aggressive the dutiful and the affectionate right Mm -hmm. and so I kind of wrote down their aggressive is sexual the pugnacious being sexual the dutiful being social mm. and the affectionate being self-pressed, but based on what we were saying earlier, um, I think we'd have to go back and read. I don't, I don't remember enough. I don't either, but um, I mean, I guess what we're saying is that we feel, we feel that affectionateness from Susanna, who we know is a sexual six, but I mean, all these things don't have to all be separate and categorized. Right. And they don't it, have to, ca- you know, fit in every category right I think the main thing to take away you know anytime which is we've talked about this too before that like when I get a stomach ache about talking more about the Enneagram (laughs) (laughs) like is that well I am a like I can imagine like we could be Instagram well I'm a pugnacious six I'm a pugnacious type right being seven right you know it's like well you can um 
the, the point of it is, is that there is this fear and anxiety happening that is, you know, causing this type to view the world in a way that where they don't trust their own kind of inner resources and experiences. And these are three different ways they can all happen in the same day, probably if we ask mm, the six, right. but how they move against their fear, how they are trying to cope with it, either by right. ingratiating and being overly friendly and keeping kind of that code. It's almost that codependence um, mm-hmm. that we've heard them talk about mm-hmm. or the rigidity of tell me what to do, how to be safe. I want to, you know, have the follow the rules or, I want to be in charge. You need to, (laughs) you need to trust me. That's the way I can be safe, you know? Yeah. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing there is a proclivity to one of those ways for sure, just like the rest of us. But I don't know that they, I don't know. I don't know that they have to fit in the three subtypes. Perhaps they do. Yeah. I don't know either, but that's helpful. The way you said that is helpful. Um, then he goes on to I, talk. I oh, think wait. we need to remember to ask sixes um, the next time. Um, are you, so are you pugnacious six? I just, yeah. I just want to say that out loud. <laughs> well, our so, next number night is tell sixes. Me, so. Are you, are you pugnacious? <laughs> we can get into it. We can get, we can into, get it. into the pugnacious. I'm, I'm excited about getting back to number night. I have to say. Um, yeah. So then he starts talking about the child wound top of 105. Um just as originally his fear led to sweetness, obedience, or defiance. So there again, he's talking about kind of those three proclivities, Mm -hmm. sweetness, one, obedience, or defiance, and usually ambivalence Mm -hmm. towards his parents. Now he continues to behave and feel the same in the face of others to whom he assigns authority or towards whom he consciously or unconsciously becomes one. Um, Mm -hmm that uh, kind of idealization of authority uh, and individualized hero worship um, over mythologizing life um, so as to indulge a passion for archetypal sublimity Um, idealistic basically Um, Mm -hmm. he kind of sums it up Mm -hmm. with that word which I think is good but basically a very complicated relationship to authority right yeah. And the word that kind of stood out to me in this kind of section was hierarchy, that mm-hmm. they kind of see the world in that hierarchical manner. Yeah. Um, and they both love and hate it. Right. Uh, in spite, in spite of their, he says, in spite of anxiety in the face of ambiguity, um, but they see all the hierarchy they probably crave it and they hate it yeah Um, yeah 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 um interesting so yeah it's kind of reminds me again what we were saying earlier about needing guidance and then kind of hating that you need it and needing Mm -hmm. that certainty of authority and hierarchical structures but kind of hating that you need that that you need it yeah yeah um crave it uh top of 106 talks about guilt as a prominent character type in sixes and fives but that um only then in type six the mechanism of guilt production goes hand in hand with a prominent mechanism of exculpation through projection and the creation of outer enemies so i wrote out Mm. in the margin six fives internalize their guilt and you kind of never see it it, it right. and sixes export their guilt on out onto you. And I have mm-hmm. experienced that. Um, they, I like the word exculpation. It's not uh, through projection and creation of outer enemies. So I do think it's important to know as a six that when you are creating outer enemies or if you're creating problems, uh, like what'd you say? Problem seeking. Some mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. some of that is just trying to export that guilt off of you, you know? Yeah. Like when you're, I think that that, if you can catch yourself, like if your observation can be what, what is my fear? Mm-hmm. How is it 
how is it being externalized? And if mm-hmm. you're problem seeking, um, that that can be a way for sure. And what um, do you feel guilty of? You know, right. uh, he says it's not only anxiety but guilt. We may say that seeks to be alleviated through the ingratiation, through dutiful appeasement to the three, through submission to personal or intellectual authorities, the sort of bluffing behind um, which the individual hides a weakness and imperfection. So I wonder if part of the the feeling guilt and anxiety is that, um, you know, if you're anxious and fearful all the time and you think that you can, um, that there is number one, that there's an answer and a way to be safe and the, um, Right. Or to kind of quelch your fear right. in the way that you've decided, but that you don't have, there's something in you that doesn't believe that you have the internal wherewithal or resources or whatever, have what it takes. that ultimately that it never happens because you're on the hamster wheel, right? So right. You're, you're always trying to, trying to move against your fear or deal with your fear. Um, and so your worldview is that, that there is a way to solve that problem, but you don't have the resources, you know, that, that, if you think that there, it's there or that there could, that reason that there is a logical way to do this, but you haven't found it, Mm. that, you know, that might be a sense of guilt, like that there's something in you that hasn't, hasn't figured it out yet or hasn't, um, gone down that logical path, or doesn't have the stick with itness, or you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, that you might feel guilty in kind of a larger psychic um, sense, like a big, larger sense of guilt, perhaps. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Ramble, ramble, ramble. No, no, it's good. Um. um. It, he says that we may say say that guilt manifests in traits such as defensiveness, self-justification. We've heard, I think we've heard this, defensiveness, self-justification, and insecurity, um, and involves an act of self-accusation accusation, mm-hmm. by which an individual becomes an invalidating parent to himself. That's, there yeah. you go. Yeah. It is in this act of self-opposition through which an individual becomes his or her own enemy. Accusation yeah. is not only an eniotype six characteristic in regard to self, but also to others, perhaps through the operation of projection and the service of avoiding the torment of too much guilt. It reminds mm. me of the critical, like the criticality of the one. Yeah. And that they have to put some of it back in the world. Right. Right. Um, they not have only to does off-gas. the six persecute themselves, they have to, mm-hmm. but they feel persecute themselves and feel persecuted Mm. they're suspicious and they're a suspicious and critical persecutor and may affirm their grandiosity precisely in view of an entitlement um but then they can pronounce their judgment on others Mm. but that is sticky that That is is sticky sticky. and i don't know how sense of guilt like if you mix in their kind of stew of anxiety and fear how if you've decided logically how the world should be and you're that philosopher kind of finding the way I don't know how guilt can't be like bubbling up and all of that too right it just feels like it's breeding ground for guilt right and in mm-hmm. my ex- in my experience has it has made it very hard to try to have a conversation with a six about their journey Mm -hmm. because it automatically feels critical and, uh, you know, it's just, it, it feels generally like a wall to me. So there's not a, there's not an on ramp for that. I mean, I know none of us really want to, be criticized by our friends or have go analyze our behavior with our friends. But mm. um, I, I, I find with sixes in particular that there is a real uh, inability to, to do that 
even in the slightest bit. And I think it's because of this piece that we're talking about. I think they're swimming in the guilt and swimming in the self-doubt. So when you just, if you just even imply a little something, it's too much. It's too much. But the problem with that is then it, it shuts down it shuts down some mutuality in relationships and that, that can be hard to get past. Um, uh, So doubt Doubt and ambivalence. Yeah. You want to read that? Um, I underlined starting in the second paragraph. I don't know if you have anything before. Yes. I think that is the best thing in the whole chapter. Yeah. So to say it differently, the six doubt themselves and doubts their doubt. Yes. They are suspicious of others, yet afraid that they may be mistaken about that suspicion. The result of this double perspective is, of course, a chronic uncertainty regard in regard to choosing a course of action and the consequent anxiety, need of support and guidance, and so on. At times, and as a defense against the unbearable ambiguity, the six may take before the world the position of a true believer who is absolutely sure of things. When not fanatic, though, the six is characterized by ambivalence more strikingly than any other character. And their most striking ambivalence is of hating and loving their authority-bearing parent or whatever at the same time. So I think, Mm. I mean, listen to that. They doubt themselves, doubt their doubt. Yes. They're suspicious of others, yet afraid that they're mistaken. Um, It's very, I I think that is really so good, the way he puts all that. So frustrating. Yes. Yeah. And he he says intellectual doubt is, it seems is the only expression of the emotional doubt in virtue of which they have torn between hateful and seductive selves, the wish to please, the wish to move against, to obey and to rebel, to admire and to invalidate. And that just reminds me of that internal external boundary. Mm -hmm. It's like that they are, it's the both and constantly for them. Yes. Yes. Mm. Torn between their hateful and seductive selves. <sighs> aren't aren't we all? Um, <laughs> but no, that's it's very powerfully put. I think. Yeah. Uh, page one hundred and seven for all sixes out there. That is a powerful yeah. paragraph. Um, and then just the last bit there. Um, while any type three is scarcely aware of its self alienation and type four and five dwell on it intensely (laughs) experiencing it as a sense of insubstantiality the experience of ontic obscuration in type six is projected onto the future and carries a sense of fearful anticipation um goes on to talk about it as um There is in this situation neither an ignoring of the issue nor a meeting of it full face, but rather a not quite looking, a partial avoidance, which I think Mm -hmm. is interesting. We talked about that with Kathy, that not quite looking, um, this fearful anticipation of the future that you're always vigilant about, but you're also not quite looking at it squarely, which is interesting, right? Right. Um, right. Um, the excessive concern of type six with security is not rooted in physical fear or even emotional fear so much as in an excessive clutching at factors of physical and emotional security out of an insecurity that is not of this world. I don't actually even know what he means by that. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I was thought he was going there, going somewhere with that for a minute. It's like, oh, what is it rooted in? But I guess, yeah, I mean, I think it's just part of that. Just the, just the generalized kind of threat of being that we're all, we all kind of don't trust. And I think the language put to, 
to the six is that kind of precariousness of not there's there's a precariousness of not being um of not being like when you talk yes, about not yes. trusting yourself um and then if you read that that whole sentence above about doubting or in the previous section about doubting but doubting mm-hmm. your doubt right um you know being suspicious but not sure if you're right in your suspicions you know just that constant kind of i think precarious is a good descriptor of that yes um, but that you kind of lose out on the ability to ground yourself in your your being which of course we're all looking for right um, right and that's what the whole what he would kind of describe as this whole eneotype being is that ontic um obscurity or insecurity right um, and i guess it's too yeah. easy to say that all of that anxiety is about physical or emotional safety. It's too easy to say that. It's just, it's much, mm-hmm. it's um, when you, when you ask yourself what you're want to feel safe about, you know, what, do, yeah. what, what, what is this great safety for? And, looking for and then under it is like, what is it, what does it even mean to be Mm-hmm. you know, metaphysically safe. Um, you know, there you, you know, I think one of the things that I kept hearing, uh, when I was in Brazil was you do not need to defend yourself. You do not yeah. need to protect yourself. And, um, I think that's hard to take in, but it's true. Yeah. And it, and when you can take it in, in moments, it is, it's, it's profound. I think, and I think a way that you could talk about that is that rootedness or mm-hmm. that's that glimpse of essence mm-hmm. or true self in those moments when mm-hmm. you all, cause the defense, the, you, all of those things that you just described are all of the ways the enneotypes are trying to, um, like we're all kind of defended. Yes. And then when we, when we do allow that to fall away, even if it's for a second, um, that's when we feel connected and the most alive and the most, you know, rooted, whatever words you want mm-hmm. to put to it, connected right. to our essence, our true self, um, yes. our be- being with a capital B, right? Right. Um, but that's, that's kind of why we want to, that's what the Enneagram helps us with. Right. You know, not to tell us what, what we are. But how we're kind of not being who we are. Right. Know? Right. Um, I think that that he does. I think at the end of that paragraph, there is a, there's a little bit of harsh language in it, but I think this is a good description of kind of description of what he's trying to say. He says, unlike the experience of the truly cor- courageous person, the hero who can risk anything, life included, out of an implicit sense of rootedness in something beyond contingent existence. Hmm. So it's kind of a bit of an archetype kind of play there. The six projects their ontic insecurity, their kind of precarious state of being, onto the outer layers of existence through a generalized incapacity to risk or an excessive concern with authority and power that serves as a guarantee for such risking. So instead of, you know, trusting in that rooted space within themselves, how they're going about trying to find their rootedness, which Mm -hmm. is another, I think, interesting way to talk about what we're all doing. We're all trying to be rooted in some way and we are not rooted, right? Right. We all are, um, believe our type um, is going to get us there. And it's a, it, it doesn't, no. it doesn't. No. So they want to feel safe. And in truth, they never can turn inward and kind of go into that space of, um, of safety. Or to me, when I think, I always think of rootedness when I teach yoga, that's like one of the, I, you know, I start with the breath and then right away, we, what's on the earth? How are you? How are you rooted? And then you then you can go from there. Then you can mm. transform. You can transition. You can go deeper. You can lift up. You know. But if you don't know where you are, 
um, all of those other things don't make a lot of sense. You know, right. you right. can't have the balance. You can't have um, the pose doesn't unfold. So nice. I, think, I, yep. I see anything else here that I've underlined. That's all I have. Yeah. I think it was, it was good. It was good. It was good. I, well, I, I struggled with him. I wanted to put him away when I, when he used the word cowardice. Yeah. Yeah. I have no, a very, I think cowardice uh, is unfair. jerk reaction with him every chapter. I'm like, ugh, ugh. yeah. And then I, yeah. there's still so much there though. There's, there's right. good, good stuff. Yes. Yeah. world i want to leave you better i want my life to matter i am afraid i have no purpose here i watch the news on tv abandon myself daily i am afraid to let you see Don't have to stay stuck in the weeds.